You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. It was the year of fire. The year of destruction. The year we took back what was ours. It was the year of rebirth. The year of great sadness. The year of pain. And the year of joy. It was a new age. It was the end of history. It was the year everything changed. The year is 2261. The place, Babylon 5. Who am I? I am Susan Ivanova, commander. Daughter of Andre and Sophie Ivanov. I am the right hand of vengeance and the boot that is going to kick your sorry ass all the way back to Earth. I am death incarnate. And the last living thing that you are ever going to see. It's over because we've decided it's over. Now get the hell out of our galaxy! Hello and welcome to the Epsilon 3, a Babylon 5 rewatch podcast. Each week we review an episode of the 1990s sci-fi TV classic Babylon 5. This week, the Babylon 5 TV movie, Third Space. I'm Paul. I'm Dan. I'm Sean. And, and we, we are, are the Epsilon 3. And the synopsis. I, I could I could do my uh, synopsis. <laughs> Ivanova and Star Furies are battling the Raiders. The White Star Fleet rescues them. Due to embar- an embargo, B5 needs supplies. Lita is having visions. Star Furies are scanning something huge. It's a salvage operation. Lita's vision of death and destruction. Veer and the other races want in on it. An IPX ship arrives. (laughs) (laughs) That'll do. It's better than my synopsis. You probably went into way more detail. (laughs) Uh, Oh, yeah. (laughs) And the synopsis. When leftover Vorlan technology unleashes an ancient and overwhelming alien force, Babylon 5 is all that stands between these new enemies and the total annihilation of all life. Written by JMS and directed by Jesus Trevino, this episode was released on July 19th, 1998, and takes place in April 2261. And the guest stars, Clyde Kusatsu as Bill Marishi, Shari Belafonte as Elizabeth Trent, William Sanderson as Juice, Kip King as Leo, Floyd Levine as Alex, Jeffrey Anderson Gunter as Merchant, uh, Judson Mills as Delta Seven, Adam uh, Gifford as Guard, Jerry Kernian as Builder, and Valerie Redhorse, which is a cracking name, as Technician. So... Guys, what did we think of this episode? Well, you know what? Um, <laughs> it wasn't the greatest thing in the world. Um, it kind of reminded me of Star Trek Insurrection. It's like an overly long episode. It's not really a movie. It, it was missing half of our main characters. Um, it's it's a little diversion from what regularly happens. And Essentially, nothing of consequence actually happens after they destroyed the thing. So, thanks for coming out. Yeah, it was awful. <laughs> yeah, I know that was well said about. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's um, it's something I always said about the Star, the Star Trek films when they made them. I said, why can't you just make an episode that you know lasts one and a half hours instead of trying to make it into this big grand thing where big stuff's going to happen and we're well, going to destroy the galaxy or whatever? And then when you get one, you think, oh. God, this is just an extended episode. <laughs> Be careful what you wish for. So yeah, um, this yeah, this didn't feel like this felt like an episode that somebody had an idea, but it was just a little bit too long for an yes. episode. But it was too short for a two-hour TV movie. So they said, "Well, can we just pad it out a bit?" And that's all they did. They padded it out. 
it, it seemed like a bunch of them went off on their own and, and shot a little movie and they didn't ask the rest of the, the friends and the other <laughs> actors to come along and help them out. <laughs> like we, we got this idea and maybe five or six of you want to come along yes. and we'll, we'll get a, we'll get a bunch of uh, extras and makeup and just make them be really weird. Yeah, you know, because we get uh, to do like two episodes in one, you know, effectively, um, you know, we can double the budget, so we can put more, more um, pew pews in it, you know, and then you know, put make a bigger model that we can use as the as the ship, and uh, yeah, it's, but it's the same story. Yeah. Dan, what did you think? Yeah, it, it felt like um, there's a, a Star Trek book that I actually really enjoyed watching, uh, reading. Uh, that was called um, Deep Space Nine uh, Objective Bajor, where a weird giant spaceship comes into view of the of the. You might even have the book copy yourself. Oh, I was just looking for it on my um, my shelf here. Uh, but the idea was this: this giant ship just appears in the Bajor system, and it's destined to start some weird thing on Bajor and someone has a profit vision and all this sort of stuff. And it starts leading to weird stuff. And these weird turtle like creatures are living inside it. And it's a toss up between, you know, do they allow them to land on Bajor and resettle in this new home or does, you know, Benjamin, Benjamin send them off um, and, and send them to a new way. Can we trust them and all this sort of stuff. And it was basically that book is this movie and it didn't work. It just, it feels so weird placed exactly in the middle of this season. Had right. it been an outside adventure set in the Babylon universe, we have a couple of our favorite characters. They turn up. I think it might've worked, but slap bang after the shadow war and Vorlon war. And before we have to sort out earth with president Clark, having just come out of illusion of truth, it just feels very, very strange that our crew are trusting yet another group of people who can get through the embargo from President Clark. And it's like, well, why weren't when they just turned around? You know, oh, because you're the expeditionary people, you're not bound to Earth's jurisdiction. It made no sense why they trusted this clearly weird person who was studying the artifacts and wants to keep all of it for herself for profit and all this kind of stuff. Um, and then the artifact, which looks evil, they let in. It just looks like something out of Doom or Lovecraft or other stupid things. <laughs> it's, it's a horror movie prop. Um, why are they trusting this giant spaceship in their territory? Um, it looks evil. Don't trust it. Oh, no, let's switch it on anyway. And again, just like last week's criticism, the characters just end up looking dumb for trusting it. Um, and uh, the one nice thing is that we got to see Juice again. Remember Deuce, the old gangster, and he was leading the charge with these mind-altered people. It was kind of a nice little callback, having a character like that come back. I honestly thought he died last time we saw him, but there we go. Um, yeah, it it's just a weird placement for this episode. It's it's a student film on a budget with half the cast. Exactly. <laughs> Have they had an away day? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't know, um, although I'd watched it, I've watched it in this order originally, um, and I couldn't remember where this sat and how it sat and what the story was and why, you know, where it all was. Yeah, so they placed it in the right place. It was it was set in April 2261, so it's set in the right place. It's a one-off thing. I have a feeling that this is never going to be mentioned ever again, even though it was because it was filmed after obviously the uh, you know all of this was supposed to have taken place so it, they've slotted it in but to do the elsewhere oh, because they they filmed it now and they showed it a year later that was it that, that that's what they did um so of course it looked a bit odd because Ivanova was there but of course it's it's a well, not quite a prequel but it's inserted in the middle of the season so it's a bit weird to do it that way I'll tell you but, though she looked good in that blue nighty oh god with yes. with her hair down Holy yes, crap. yes, and for that reason, I'm giving it a five out of five. Jump, no, uh, sorry, <laughs> skipped in. We've skipped to the end. Sorry. Yes, let's get the let's get this overly long <laughs> review out the way first. Sean, if you want to have a kit for the next twenty minutes while I describe all of this that goes on, sounds good. It was the middle of the Earth year 2261, the year between wars and the beginning of a new age. The Shadow War was over, but there was still a darkness waiting for us at home. President Santiago had been assassinated, and his successor, President Clark, was turning Earth into a prison camp. 
We'd broken away from Earth, and in retaliation, they quarantined us, trying to strangle our supply lines. We were desperate, and we couldn't afford to lose even a single supply ship. In the midst of all of this, we made contact with Third Space, and we almost didn't survive it. I only hope we never come across it again, because next time, no one's going to survive it. We open with a battle in progress. Ivanova and Delta-7 in Starfiores are escorting a cargo ship and are being attacked by a triangular-shaped ships, the likes of which we have not seen in Babylon 5 before. The ships are a raiding party after the cargo of Quantinium-4, which is worth millions of credits an ounce. Just as it looks like a standoff, another larger raider ship arrives. But right after that, the White Star fleet turns up and gets the raiders to surrender. Ivanova's mousetrap has worked, and if they make and they if they make sure all the raiders hear about this, it may discourage further attacks on cargo ships. Lita Alexander is having a meeting with two gentlemen in the Zocalo. They are brothers, and one of them is sick, possibly dying. Lita is here to scan them to determine the truth. Just as they start, Lita has a headache and a brief vision of a ship, and a voiceover saying, Waiting for a long time. This is followed by another vision. She ends the meeting saying she is not feeling well. As she leaves, she feels dizzy and stumbles. Collecting herself, she has another vision of a symbol. Delta Squadron are returning from the raider skirmish when Delta 7 gets a reading on his long-range scanners, and whatever it, whatever it is, it's huge. It could be a lost or damaged ship, so they call, it, call into Babylon 5 and go to investigate. When they get there, the ship is indeed huge. They will need all the Star Furies they, they have to salvage it. But the ship has a symbol on the side of it, the same symbol that Lita has just seen in her vision. Speaking of Lita, she is waiting for the ship to arrive at the viewing port when, when she has another vision. In this vision, she is injured and is stumbling into a bar where there are dead bodies strewn all over the tables and floor. She snaps out of the vision as the ship arrives through the jump gate under tow from the Star Furies. The jump gate has had to be widened to its maximum in order to get the salvaged ship through. Veer, Sheridan and Delenn are walking through the corridors of Babylon 5, with Veer explaining the reason why Peter Jurassic is not in this film. It is that Londo is not aboard right now, as he is back home, and that the League of Non-Aligned Worlds expect the Centauri to represent them in financial matters. They would like to know what the artifact is. Sheridan says as soon as he knows something, they will let him know. Veer will pass on the information, but the others are hard of listening. Zach Allen is taking a look at the outside of the whatever it is, and, it see, and, and is seeing signs of weapons fire on it, so it could pose a, a security risk, as it may have booby traps or unexploded bombs on it. They send in a maintenance bot to take a sample of the surface. As it does so, the power is drained from it. When they get it back to the station, they cannot recharge it. It is totally dead. Just then, a ship arrives from IPX, Interplanetary Expeditions. IPX. Okay, surely that's IPE. Oh, IPX. Expeditions. That's poor. <laughs> and even though uh, Babylon 5 is not having anything to do with Earth, a passenger still wants to talk to Sheridan. Meanwhile, Lita has lost the plot and is writing, There is danger, remember, on every piece of paper she can find, and on the walls, and the table, and the lights. The passenger meeting with Sheridan is Dr. Elizabeth Trent, field coordinator for IPX. She wants to access, uh, she wants access to the artifact. She points out that they don't have the people or expertise to examine it. She also says that IPX are a business and are not interested in the politics between Earth and Babylon 5. That is why they are not afraid of the Earth embargo of the station. A message comes through to Sheridan stating that the artifact has been carbon dated and is over one million years old. This convinces Dr. Trent that she really wants to look at this artifact, and they both agree that IPX can work outside Babylon 5, sorry, alongside Babylon 5 staff in the exploration of, uh, of it so long as she brings in some supplies, as the embargo from Earth is taking its toll on the supply chain. Hey, 
Hey, hey, hey, hey, you, don't, don't put that. There, never mind. Okay, forget it. Look, excuse me, I would appreciate it if you keep this whole area clear. It's explosive here. Thank you. Ivanova is trying to herd cats as the workers strip the artifact of, of its insides. <laughs> see your face. Uh, this is this is just this is horrific. Well, look at this. Well, you know, back home on Earth, among the Amazon in South America, we've got these army ants. They sweep across the forest in a carpet five inches thick. I mean, millions of them. I mean, they're no more than an inch long, but they can devastate an entire forest in less than an hour. I wonder if they know they've got cousins this far out in space. You think anybody would notice if I just killed a few of them? Well, how many? I don't know, uh, ten? Oh, yeah, they don't. Six? Go for it. Dr. Trent arrives and is introduced to them. She says that they should uh, talk before things get crazy. Ivanova wants to know what the chaos around them is if it's not crazy. Dr. Trent says it's science. Lita is still in a cold sweat with visions of the artifact floating in her head. She wakes and takes a ride in the elevator and is joined by Zach. I thought she looked absolutely stunning with the old sweaty red hair and the, the <laughs> staring into space. I thought, oh my I God. thought you might like that. Ooh, yeah. yeah, yeah, I'd love to have been in that elevator. Um, <laughs> she can push my buttons anytime. Uh, where are we? Uh, he tries some small talk by insulting her and saying, saying she looks rough around the edges, but she just mumbles <laughs> to herself. Zach so keeps on trying while the power of the elevator fails. He says he likes her and asks her out. She just keeps staring her forward and mumbling. He keeps trying and puts his hand on her shoulder. She gives him a look and he backs down and apologises. Wow, Zach, you really know how to read a woman. <laughs> Meanwhile, the technician is putting a beam into place on the artefact when he sees the bots behaving in a strange way. They are forming up in a formation to collide with the artefact. Alpha squadrons swoop in and destroy them all before they can complete the manoeuvre. Zack and the security de detail go to see what the problem is with the bots. Sorry, with the bots controller. And find an unconscious worker on the floor. His security override on the, uh, of the door fails, so they shoot it down. Inside, they find, out, find a spaced-out leader Alexander with a PPG in her hand. She says, we have to stop it, before collapsing on the floor. In sickbay, Lita has recovered, but cannot remember what happened over the last 24 hours. She is nervous about the artefact and feels like she has seen it before. She looks up at the ceiling. In Sheridan's office, Zach Allen, Ivanova, Sheridan and Dr. Trent are all watching a monitor, with Lita looking, looking right out of it. Dr. Trent says she knows she is being watched. Trent gets Zach to switch the camera and Lita looks right at, the one, at that one as well. Only telepaths of P9 or above can sense electronics like that, and Lita is a P5. But that rating was given to her before she went to the Vorlon homeworld. How does Dr. Trent know this? Well, IPX track all long-range vessels that approach quarantine space. According to their records, uh, two years before the war, Lita was on Mars hiding from the Psychor, where she made contact with the Starship captain. She told him she was drawn to the Vorlon homeworld after her contact she made with Kosh. He agreed to take her as far as their border. On arrival, uh, they sent out a continuous signal to attract the Vorlons. After several days, there was, there was no reply from the Vorlons, so the captain turned around, but not before Lita had taken a life pod and headed into Vorlon space. This was probably what the Vorlons were waiting for. They picked her up, and while she was, while she was with them, they increased her ability to a P9. Dr. Trent suggests that Lita has been unknowingly trying to destroy the artifact under the influence of the Vorlons and wants her, her placed under house arrest. Sheridan takes it under advisement. As Dr. Trent is performing deep field resonance scan of the artifact, a man sleeping in down below awakens, screaming, Keep it away! as a number of other people and races start to walk around like zombies. Preliminary reports are coming in to Dr. Trent and... Insert clip here. They confirm that it is definitely not a ship. She has an idea what it, what it may be, but to keep us all in suspense, the writer won't tell us as she can't confirm it, uh, <laughs> as it is dead in the water. However, if she is right, it would make jump gates look like nothing in comparison. Zach Allen is receiving reports that there there have been a number of disturbances reported in down below, fights most mostly, although. Some people have been found locked in their rooms screaming. 
which is also happening all over the ship. The security guard uh, says this has all started since the artifact uh, arrived. Zach wants reports written up on all incidents for analysis. Ivanova is asleep, but wakes up to find her door to, the quarters, to, to her quarters are open and a bright light is shining through. She gets up and walks through the door and suddenly, wearing her uniform, and standing, is standing in a cave. She runs her hand down the wall and symbols appear, lit up in green. She looks up and sees a vast cityscape with the artifact in the distance being lit up with searchlights and Veer is standing there looking at it all. It's beautiful, isn't it? I want to go there. I want to be there. What? What is it? You shouldn't ask questions like that. Then some Centauri women arrive and take him away, much to his pleasure. Suddenly the clouds start to boil and lightning flashes and tentacles come out of the rocks and touch Ivanova's face and she wakes up screaming. Dr. Trent's assistant, Dr. Mar Dr. Morishi, is having lunch when he looks up to see a crowd across the room staring at him. They gather in front of him, which he ignores. But it, like, but he's just seen these people staring at him from a distance and he thinks that's a bit odd. So, okay, so he carries on. So maybe you'd think, well, okay, that's, that's fair enough. But then they walk over and literally stand right in front of him and he just ignores them. He looks at them and goes, yeah, okay, and carries on writing. Take, I mean, take a picture, it'll last longer. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, How way to antagonize a crowd. Yeah, it's just like mm. all these, about, yeah. well, I don't know, seven of them, let's say. They're obviously not going to do anything pretty, you know, any good just standing there, are they? So what, what are you going to do? I just piss them off a bit. It's all right. He's not like he's the lead investigator on an archaeological dig that are trying to look for any clues whatsoever to anything with an <laughs> ideal perception rating, you know, that, that would be needed for that kind of job. No, 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 that's fine. You are smart. Make it go faster. <laughs> no, that's what basically says. <laughs> I mean, and in that sort of voice, if he'd just been wearing a, a um, uh, come on, Sean, help me out. Name the Thank race. Man. Thank you. Packlids. Yeah, if they put in the pack lab makeup, that would have been even better, wouldn't it? He says, <laughs> you know, they gather in front of him, which he ignores, so they gather around him. He asks what they want, and one of them says, you are not moving fast enough. You have to work faster. You have to make it work. It's it's pack lead written all over it. <laughs> we look for things we... that make it work. You can make it work. <laughs> you are smart. You are smart. You make it go. This is my friend, so... Reginald. He wants you to make it work. <laughs> And then they just turn around and leave. Okay. Sheridan is asking Dr. Trent why she has no report report for him after five days. She says you can't rush science. She has been running on two hours of sleep in the last 36 hours. Yeah, I've there, been there myself. Um, yeah, but then having said that, I mean, you guys probably can't see because I've got my glasses on, but I mean... I, I have, I've got bags under my eyes. I've got half closed eyes. My hair's sticking out all over the place, looking like shit. She looks far too good. She looks like she's just got up, had a shower, done her hair, applied her makeup, and is ready for the world. I mean, well, she looks she, fabulous. She, she's a Belafonte. They've got good genes. I was going to say yeah. that. Yeah, definitely. Quite nice uh, tops as well as the jeans, and some mm. nice shoes that go with it. Uh, Sharon. <laughs> Sheridan is not happy and gives her another 48 hours to have a report for him, or he will pull the plug. Zach is questioning Juice, the man asking Dr. Marishi the questions earlier. He asks him why he was in the maintenance area trying to open the airlock. Okay, Deuce, I'm going to ask you again. What were you doing in the maintenance area? You were trying to open up the airlocks, now why? I was going to go for a walk. I was going to go for a walk. Do you know what explosive decompression looks like? Do you have any idea what it would do to this place? I wanted to go outside. Why? Because it's outside. It's calling me. It's calling all of us. They know who we are there in the city. What city? You know. You've been there. You've seen. I can tell by looking at you. 
We belong to them, you know. And they're going to come for us soon. We have to open the door. We have no choice. Those of us who hear the call, we belong to them. The others who do not hear the call will not survive it. Dr. Trent is wound up about Sheridan. She thinks he wants to take the, all the credit for discovering the artifact and finding out what it is. She wants this for herself and thinks it will make her career. She wants to fire up the artifact and see what it does. Dr. Marishi advises caution until they know what it is. Well, here we go. We finally found the uh, the episode trope. You know, the, you know, the same thing every time. Scientists want it for themselves, doesn't trust anybody. There's always another scientist there saying, oh, no, you've got to be careful. <laughs> It needs two of them to agree to the action uh, to action this big. He needs to be convinced. Trent Cook, uh, tells him she thinks the artifact is an original jump gate that is faster than hyperspace. It could use a, a different space, a third space. It could mean instantaneous travel between the stars. This idea convinces Dr. Marishi. Via bumps into Ivanova in the elevator and mentions that he saw her in a dream. It was the same dream that Ivanova had. She asks Via what happened to her, and he says she was eaten. She contacts Sheridan and says they have a problem with the artifact. The maintenance technician is fitting the power supply to the artifact, and as he does, people on Babylon 5 start to act like zombies. They go to the viewing ports and stare at the artifact. There is a 15% drop in power on the station, so Sheridan tells Ivanova to concentrate power to life support, rotational systems, and transportation. I mean, forget MedLab. Or the um, cryogenic pods. Yeah. Zach calls and tells Sheridan that there is chaos all over the station and that people are acting under, under a telepathic link, trying to disrupt the Star Furies from launching. Eventually, the power is restored to the launch bay doors and the Star Furies make their way to the artifact. Delenn and Sheridan both arrive at Lita's quarters at the same time. When they get no answer, they override the door and go inside. They are met by Lita with white glowing eyes. She says, we tried to stop it. We tried to warn you. We failed. The door is opening. The Star Furies attack the artifact, which has no effect, but then it splits into two. Delenn asks Lita, who are you? There's a good question, asking a Vorlon who they are. <laughs> and she replies, an echo of what was. It is some leftover programming of the Vorlons, hidden in what was left of Kosh in Lita. She says that the Vorlons have made an error, an error of pride. They had travelled to a thousand worlds, appeared as beings of light, brought to order and dis discipline. They believed the Vorlons to be gods, and Vorlons, in their pride, began to believe them. They put all of their knowledge into creating an opening, a door to another dimension, a door to heaven, a door to the foundation of all life. They would touch the face of God, and in doing so, become gods themselves. They forgot that a door may swing in two directions until it was too late. What came through was more powerful than even the Vorlons could imagine. They fought them back and disabled the device, but some Vorlons were controlled by their telepathic influence that was enhanced by the gate. They disappeared into hyperspace before they could be stopped. They want to destroy all life other than their own. They believe only they have the right to live and that all other life forms are inferior and must be eliminated. They have already eliminated all other life in their own universe. Now they can access this one. There is a door on their side, but it needs, it needs both doors to be open for them to come through. Close this one, and they will be trapped in their own universe again. Lita shows Sheridan what will happen if they don't by melding with him. You know what else you can meld with? This promo for another podcast right here on the ESO Network. Good afternoon. May we be of assistance, sir? Yes, I'm looking for a podcast for someone who likes that 1960s headache music. Don't these podcasters have atrocious taste? Sir, may I recommend this podcast by Monkeying Around? I guarantee a migraine. I never heard of Monkeying Around. You never heard of Monkeying Around? He's, He's never, never heard, heard of Monkeying monkey around. around. What does Monkeying Around sound like? <laughs> I'll take it. He took it? He took it. Monkeying Around, a podcast about the monkeys. The Star Furies try another attack, but are fought back by the new ships that are starting to come through the newly opened Stargate. 
Ivanova enters Dr. Trent's lab and finds uh, Dr. Marishi dead. Dr. Trent appears and claims that Marishi had tried to stop the Starfiori's attacking the artifact. She claims that the artifact took control of him and he came at her, so she shot him. Just then, Sheridan calls and tells Ivanova to scramble everything they have and to command the White Star Fleet to attack the artifact. Susan agrees, but then spots Dr. Marishi has been shot in the back. She asks Dr. Trent why this would be uh, when she was supposed to have a he was supposed to have attacked her facing him. And suddenly a martial arts fest takes place. This archaeologist is more than she seems. Intelligence expert, martial arts expert, xenopsychologist. What is she, this woman? Yeah, crap at fighting because Ivanova takes her down and goes to the White Star. Sheridan is suited and booted and ready to go, but first he takes a case out of a high-security locker marked nuclear material and shoves it right in front of the camera so we all know exactly what he's going to do. More and more ships are coming out of the wormhole at Stargate and all hell is breaking out, eating up most of the CGI budget in one go. Dr. Franklin is trying to get the wounded back to MedLab, but he and Zack get attacked by Veer and many others. Sheridan is making his, way to the, making his way to the Stargate, but not in a ship, in an EVA suit. This should get him overlooked by the thousands of ships flying around him and all those loose lasers and pulse cannons exploding everywhere. <laughs> oh, it'll be fine. It'll, yeah. yeah. Mm. Ivanova orders everyone who can, who can to open fire on the energy field. This brings down the field and Sheridan is in. So Ivanova alerts Delenn to the fact that he's in the artifact. Then that then looks up to her left to listen and to reply to Ivanova. Why did, why does she do that? Why does she go? Okay, yeah. What is the microphone behind her? What, what, what's, it's like when you're in your car and somebody and you, you get a phone call in your car and he's but the person at the other end says, oh, "Sorry, I can't hear you." So you have to like lean up to the microphone to speak into the into the roof of the car. Yeah, <laughs> you don't have to do that. Just speak louder. Sheridan lands on the surface of the interior of the artifact. He places the bomb whilst admiring the view. He sets the timer for five minutes. Suddenly, a huge alien appears behind him. He flees, and despite a couple of attempts by the alien to stop him, he gets out fairly easily and orders everyone away. The bomb explodes, uh, as does the artifact, throwing Sheridan flying towards the station. Everyone who's fighting suddenly stops, confused as to what they are doing. Sheridan asks, asks Delenn to pick him up on the way home, and she says she will in the fullness of time. Dr. Trent is contrite about killing Dr. Marishi, but she doesn't want to say uh, why she turned the artifact on in the first place. I'm sorry for what happened, Captain. Hey, it's not your fault. A lot of people fell under the influence of that thing. More would have fallen if we hadn't stopped it. However doesn't explain your decision to hold back information before that thing started broadcasting telepathic signals. But uh, we won't mention that part, will we? Make the conversation so depressing. Yes, it would. Bill should be alive right now. This is everything I have on the artifact. Maybe it'll be useful someday. She's thinking about whether she still wants the job. Sheridan says it has been a learning experience for her. What about you? Oh, I'm going to go away for a little while. After everything that's happened, I have to decide if I want this job anymore. I didn't like the part of me that that thing brought out. Well, maybe it's a... A learning experience for you. If it is, it's a hell of a painful one. <gasps> Ain't no other kind, Dr. Trent. <laughs> so in that speech at the end, he says, we got through it alive and everyone is okay. Well, tell that to Dr. Marushi. <laughs> <laughs> Poor guy's dead. He's okay, though. Yeah, he's okay. Oh, he's okay. Yeah. So yeah. not only is he I mean, not observant, 
nobody's observant of him either so he's just invisible i guess yeah i think i think what it is is sheridan you know he obviously died but he's better now so he thinks that yeah. you know dr mushy's died but he'll be better soon that's right <laughs> that's how it works yeah <laughs> if you go to third space you will die <laughs> <laughs> i was sure she didn't give me all the information she just wanted out of there and if a little lie got her out the door that was fine with her. Fine with both of us, really. Because as Mr. Garibaldi has been known to say from time to time, we all lie. Okay, let's move on to trivia. When they finished editing the movie for broadcast, the producers found that they were actually a few minutes short. So the elevator scene with Zach and Lita was added. Huh, that makes a lot <laughs> of sense, actually. Well, it, it makes a lot of sense. Mm. But I thought it was actually a good scene because it did fit with what has been happening recently in the series. Actually, you hmm. know what? It was probably the best part of the whole thing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Third Space was the first of the TNT movies filmed, but the second one aired in July 1998, as it was actually filmed in late 1997. Claudia Christian was still part of the Babylon 5 cast at the time. When it was finally aired, Claudia had been replaced by the recurring cast uh, in the recurring cast by Tracy Scoggins in the part of Babylon 5 Commander under Sheridan. There you go. That's what I was trying to think of before. The artifact was designed in cooperation with Wayne Douglas Barlow, author of Barlow's Guide to Extraterrestrials. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> it's one way to become a, uh, an expert on your own subject, isn't it, really? <laughs> I'm an expert on uh, extraterrestrials, you know. I'll give you a guide. Yeah. I swear they just played too much Doom or Quake. The mm. the the iconography, everything just looked like a, a shoot 'em up game from the nineties. It was, you know, they they didn't really think about it. They weren't planning it. They just played a game, thought, oh, that looks nice. Let's build a ship of it, and that's yeah. it. That I'm convinced that's what the decision making process was all about. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, all playing Doom on the on the on the uh, the Commodore <laughs> Amigas when it when it wasn't creating the <laughs> graphics. Look, we've got 25 Amigas here. Just make 24 of them do the work, and we'll play a few games on this one. <laughs> Just take a screenshot of that little thing over there. There, That's a ship. There we go. Yes. Why did it take so long to make all this film? Well, <laughs> we're only really working at 24, 25ths. Yeah. <laughs> uh, where are we? Ivanova says on Sheridan's link that the carbon-14 dating puts the artifact at 1 million years old but carbon dating can only be done on objects on Earth, as the carbon ratios in space were vastly different and con constantly changing. Even if the carbon ratios from the artifact's origin were known, carbon-14 dating is only effective for dating things to about 60,000 years. Other radi radioisotopes uh, will be used to date anything much older, yet Ivanova says that carbon dating determined the object is over 1 million years old. Yeah, but they're in the future. They have new technology that works. Yeah, different it's, carbon. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Mm. It's a different scale. Yeah. And it's it's not yeah. the same dates as on, on the planet. So That's it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> let's see if I can read this incorrectly. When the IPX leader is looking at the various screens regarding the alien device, one of the displays has a misspelling. Oh, okay, there's an M missing. EMF emissions. That's with two Ms. Should be EMF emissions with one M. Yeah, you'd have to look close to see that one. Here we go. Ah, so blatant, so blatant. I'm not so. going back to watch it. To oh, check that out. Yeah, <laughs> no, no truth now. Oh, I didn't check this out. When Via Cotto was throttling Zach Allen and the telepathic spell is broken, you can see that Stephen first forgot to remove his wristwatch. <sighs> the watch is not present on his left wrist when the fight begins, but it is present at the end of the fight. Oh, there you go. I would Maybe he mugged out. a human for an antique watch, and you know <laughs> yes. you can only see it at certain points. True. Hmm. Okay, Sean, are there any Star Trek connections? <laughs> kind of. Uh, there was there was a whole pile of guest stars, and I looked through every single one. And the first one I looked through had the Star Trek connection. And did anybody else? No. So yeah. <laughs> oh, I did. I didn't even find that. <laughs> okay. Well, we've got uh, Clyde uh, Kusatsu who played Bill Morishi. He played Admiral Nakamura in three episodes of Star Trek. The of course, Next he did. Why didn't I pick him up? Yes, and that was it. Nobody else did anything. 
Mm. Yeah, it's because so, they got all the cheap extras and things, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. No video games, no voiceovers, nothing. <laughs> Disgraceful. Quite. Okay, so let's move on to our ratings. Uh, IBM, IBM. No, it's not IBM. <laughs> I is it re- IBM. Re- re- rearrange all of those letters <laughs> to make <laughs> a sentence B. Uh, IMDb. Uh, score the rating out of 10, and they've given it a 6.8. We give ours out of 5. Sean, what do you give this <laughs> as a rating? Um, I don't know. Not very much. <laughs> <laughs> like, like I said, it's a student film with a good budget and half the cast. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah. What was this dream sequence with the alien city and, and the weird tentacles? How did that relate to anything? I couldn't figure that part out. Mm-hmm. Um Ivanova in a blue nightgown. That was the best part of the thing. And uh, Lita Alexander with her disheveled hair and her sweaty boobs hanging out. That was okay. But <laughs> should I even say that? Should I erase that? I don't know. But <laughs> I'm, I'm 12 again. No, hang on. This might be worth going back to find. Um, <laughs> sweaty boobs hanging out, you say. In the element. Mm. Yeah, you know. Mm. Like, well, cleavage. Anyway. Well, mm. A couple, couple of points you want to bring up. <laughs> a couple at least, yeah. yeah. Um... <laughs> I don't know, Paul. <laughs> I don't even know if it's worth a 2.5. <laughs> I, I I don't think it is. I, I'm gonna give it I'm gonna give it 2.25. Right, okay. 2.2. Yeah, because that would make it slightly whoa, slightly worse than last week's. And because you've given this one uh, a 2.25, you've pushed the other one out of your top uh, bottom ten. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So yeah, yes, yes, two point two five is. I'd agree with that. It's it's an extended episode that, mm. with nothing good about it. No. Dan. Yeah, uh, I'm along the same lines. It, it's there's no consequence. It's not like we're going to see or hear of third space ever again. You know, this race of anti-life aliens are never going to appear again. Even though you think that they should do, because if they're you know as tough as they're supposed to be surely they'll find another way back um it's it it makes sense where it's placed like you say you know it's supposed to be between the two wars and i suppose it kind of explains why sheridan doesn't just waltz right back up to earth with an entire fleet of white stars which would outmatch everything earth could throw at them um so obviously you know they took some suffering damage from whatever these uh, aliens were um but you know, you've got to make that inference. There's nothing in this episode that makes that worthwhile watching halfway through season four. Um, you have to kind of figure that out and make make it what you want. And it just, yeah, there's nothing here. I don't want to come back for it other than Ivanova, other than Lita, other than the funny bit with uh, Veer having his uh, dream and then not wanting to tell Ivanova that he was dreaming about her, thinking that he was, you know, just being a dirty old man um you know he was you know he was doing his uh tentacle thing with these lovely um centauri ladies and he happened to have a vision about this monolith and things like this so there are great moments between our characters that we've seen a dozen times before but there's nothing great to come back for uh, yeah i i always put 2.5 as like an entertaining episode and it's not there um yeah i'm gonna go for a two i can't really give it any more than that uh, yeah, yeah, I, I think both of you are overrating this uh, episode. Um, mm. It's appalling. It is <laughs> an extended episode, but with nothing extra put in, they've just extended mm. the scenes. Where you would normally get a quick couple of lines of conversation in a scene, they've filled out the same scene with a few more extra lines to mm. slowly but surely pad out the explanation of what is going on. Um, you see it a few times between Dr. Trent and, and Sheridan where you think, we've been here five minutes. And all they've spoke about is whether they're going to get this report out or not. And and there's nothing constructive that's come from it. It's just, there's we haven't advanced anything here. And it happens two or three times through the, through the film that you'll get scenes with long-winded explanations of things. Uh, Veer having to throw in the quick... Uh, well, you know, uh, Londo's not here, so I, everybody's talking to me. And, uh, you know, just to say, you're not going to get Peter Jurassic in this. Mm. He's, um, you know, decided not to do it, whatever he, whatever reason, he's busy doing something else. So 
yeah, it was just a bit uh, overly stretched, and we were we were get. I mean, I, th- I think it was an hour before we got to the point where they said, "Oh my goodness, this Leviathan is now opening up, and things are starting to happen." Mm. Uh, even up to that point, we still didn't know what it was, and we we really didn't know what you know. It was right at the end when Lita starts giving all the explanations to you know, the Volant, etc that uh, we really sort of found out what it was, which is the way things go, I suppose. But at the same time, nothing nothing was and, happening. And, and her quote at the end sums up the, uh, the, the episode very nicely. One mistake out of so many. Mm. Mm. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah, the, the mistake of pride, the error of pride, wasn't it? Well, uh, the, the mistake of this episode, the mistake of TKO, you know, there's a few yes. Sur- sur- uh, survivors or whatever that other one was with, with, the, with the dead yeah. kid and the parents. Believers, yeah. not survivors. There's, um, if anybody um, has uh, has been watching um, Babylon 5 recently, or if, they, if, if you have been watching it along with this uh, podcast, well, fabulous, thank you very much. Uh, but <laughs> Uh, if you don't have a copy of the films, or the, or certainly Third Space, you don't really need to see it. It you will not miss it. It doesn't add anything to the series. Um, it doesn't advance any of the characters. It doesn't have any knock-on effect for them. Um, this is a standalone story that has. It doesn't. It's, I don't get even. Well, it won't be even mentioned because when they made this, there was halfway through the the next season, so they couldn't really. Or it's showing halfway through the next season, so it was. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It it really makes no difference if you if you haven't seen it. Don't worry. It, 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 you yeah, won't miss it. The only discussion they have is that they now know that Lita is a more advanced P rating on yes. the cycle rating scale. So that means that when you watch this in this sequence, the characters should already know that. And I'm wondering if, when we go through the episodes to come, whether that could be worked in, or if it's actually a pretty big gaff. Um, I, I, on the that's, maker's part, that could be it. Yeah, maybe they've put that in to sort of show that. I mean, this this it does give a bit of backstory to Lita. It shows where she's been, mm. but we're on mm. season four now, and she disappeared yeah. in what season two was it? Two into three. So, mm. you know, and all it is is a bit of an explanation about meeting this captain and then going off and taking a life part. And, you don't see what happens to her when she's there, but she comes back stronger than she was. Well, we all know she's been there, but you know she, she's obviously mm. been a liaison to the Volons for a bit and been out to the deeper parts of space and what have you. So um, it would have been better if that maybe had been her story. Yeah, and you know, and she, you know, you saw what happened to her when she was there, how she contacted the Volons, what they did to her. Just, you know, maybe bring that out and explain what happened to her, and then give her the P P nine rating. And then mm-hmm. when it comes to the next episode or a few episodes along, where it has been hinted already, I think that she's stronger than because it was when um, Bester was was in that meeting room mm. and she she fought him back and he said you're stronger than you than you know you than we than we think, uh, so mm. he suspects it. Now we've got the explanation, we can understand what he would felt and why you know why he'd felt it, and we can move on. And, and maybe that that's a missing I think that's a missing um, storyline there really. Um, so yes, any uh, anybody else? Anybody else? No, there's nobody else here. There's just the there's just the three of us. Um, anything else you want to bring up about this very bad no. MacGuffin of an episode? You remember the Vorlons? You didn't think you'd see them again, did you? Well, here's a whole episode about it. <laughs> yes, yes, they've just all disappeared off into um, you know the the deep. Um, Reaches Dark of space, space of the of the rim. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. And yeah. guess what? There's an old bit of them still lying around. <laughs> and because it's one mistake out of so so many, we could have another ten or fifteen different TV movies if we ever get the budget. <laughs> yes. All about Vorlon accidents. Yes. Babylon Five will return with fourth space and fifth space, <laughs> and how many more can we make up? Shadow space. A shadow relic has been found, and don't open it. <laughs> okay, so that is the end of this episode. Join us again next week when we will be discussing season four, episode nine, Atonement. When the dust settled and people wanted explanations, we gave them one. <laughs>
We said that the device was a weapon, a mousetrap, which was true. We told them that it used a telepathic trigger and caused an outbreak of fighting. And we told them that it was finally destroyed. It's all true. And of course, it's all a lie. Because there are times we don't need the whole truth. The Vorlons made an error thousands of years ago, and we paid the price for it today. Why encourage anyone else to do the same? We've got more than enough trouble of our own. We don't need to inherit anyone else's mistakes. We got through it alive, and everyone's okay. That's the important thing. And this isn't the kind of problem that's likely to ever happen again. If you have any thoughts on this episode, why not send in some feedback to the epsilon3 at gmail.com. That's three spelled T-H-R-E-E, not the number. Or you can find us on our Facebook page. Just search for the Epsilon 3. Now, if you have any other problems, any other questions at all, just ask. has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.